everyone, it's Jeannie, Pistol Packin' Mountain Mama Health Nut. Welcome to Throw Out the Trash. In the All Things Health segment today, I'm going to talk in-depth about the importance of supplementing with vitamin D3 to help you have a super strong immune system, but I'll also tell you why you should be careful on how to do it, because too much of a good thing can be harmful. And then keep listening to my second segment that has absolutely nothing to do with health, and I call it Mountain Adventures. And today I share another true story about living off-grid in the Rocky Mountains of East Idaho. I'm going to share something with you that I have never, ever experienced, nor do I want to experience again. And it happened at the train station, so keep listening to find out just what I'm talking about. But first, let's talk about the vitamin D3. Why talk about vitamin D? Because after all, I've mentioned it in a previous episode, and it was titled Aluminum, and it was part two, Low Immunity and Will Vitamin D Strengthen It? So I encourage you to give that a listen if you haven't already. And then I talk quite a bit about what to do to have a strong immune system in that episode. But right now we're in the heart of the flu and the COVID season, and I've seen a lot of friends and family that are getting very sick. So taking care of your immune system is very important. So I felt like I needed to touch on it again. Making your immune system strong takes some time, and you you need to do it long before the winter season starts and then long before you ever get sick. But how do you do this? So I'll talk about that, and I'll also talk about why some experts say vitamin D3 is important, but you should be careful when supplementing with it. And then there's others say that not only is it important, it is the most important vitamin to take. So let's look at it. First off, exactly what is it and where can you get it? Okay, so it's a fat-soluble vitamin, And this means that it dissolves in fats and oils, and then it's stored in the fat cells for future use. And sometimes it can be stored there for a very long time if your body doesn't utilize it. This is where some experts say that you should be careful because it's fat-soluble. It means it can accumulate in the body for over a long period of time. There's some experts like Dr. Ryan Coles, and I'll talk more about him in a little bit, but he says it's not really a vitamin at all. It's a hormone and it's essential for the human body. In fact, it's a steroid hormone, and it's produced from cholesterol when your skin is exposed to the sun. And I've often heard it called the sunshine vitamin. So what does it actually do in the body? I thought an article in Healthline explained it really well, and it was called Vitamin D 101, A Detailed Beginner's Guide. How perfect for me. And here's what it said. It says that vitamin D undergoes two steps to become active. First, it's converted to calcidiol in your liver, and this is the storage form of vitamin D. Then the second step is it's converted to calcitriol. This happens in your kidneys. This is the active hormone form of vitamin D. Okay, then this interacts with special vitamin D receptors that are found in almost every cell of your body. And when this active form binds to this receptor, it turns genes on or off, and this leads to changes in your cells. And then overall, it helps with bone health, of course, by promoting the absorption of calcium and phosphorus from your gut. So you see why it's important to have good gut health? But lately, research is now saying that it has an important role in your immune system and can protect against cancer. And I find this ironic, because for years we've been told to lather on the sunscreen, when in fact it's just the opposite. So I would throw sunscreen out completely unless it's something natural, and then you know, only use it for prolonged exposure. Now, when it comes to vitamin D, you're going to hear 
vitamin D3 and vitamin D2. Okay, now these are just two forms of vitamin D. Now, is there any difference between the two? And is one better than the other? In an article by Nutrition Advance, it was titled Vitamin D2 versus Vitamin D3, an evidence-based comparison. It says that despite the fact that some experts say that vitamin D3 is a lot more effective, you know, as far as raising vitamin D levels, there's current research that says both are equally effective. Now, both are supplemental forms, and basically the main difference between the two is their source and how the body processes it. So I'll try to make this easy to understand. So you have the vitamin D2, and that comes mainly from fungi or mushrooms. This reacts with UVB light from the sun. And then you have vitamin D3, and it's produced when UVB light from the sun reacts with a compound in your skin called 7-dehydrocholesterol. This is the kind of cholesterol that I mentioned earlier. Okay, so how do you get it? The best, most natural way, of course, is from the sun. However, it takes your body a little bit of time to build these levels up. But then once you have it, it'll work for you. Unfortunately, you're only going to get a small amount if you're in the sun for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. So you really need to spend a fair amount of time outside every day if you can. And I know that's not always possible. You can get it from different foods like cod liver oil, salmon, tuna, beef liver, whole eggs, sardines, and guess what? Dark chocolate. So we know that vitamin D is stored in the fat cells until your body utilizes it. Are there things that can deplete this reservoir, making you vitamin D deficient? According to Dr. Eric Berg in an article titled Vitamin D3, Seven Surprising Facts, he says there is a long list of ways, and so I'm going to list some of them right now, and that is gut inflammation, no gallbladder, thicker skin as we age, darker skin, obesity, where you live, so if you live in the more northern latitudes, genetics, diabetes, insulin resistance, infection because the microbes can block the absorption, a fatty liver, smoking, high sugar diet, and then chronic stress or sudden stress, and which reminds me, keep listening to my mountain adventure segment after this segment because you're going to hear about a very stressful situation that could have made me very sick, but because I had a good immune system, I managed to stay healthy. But moving on, there's statin medications, a low-fat diet, air pollution, and high omega-6 diet. So if you're deficient in vitamin D levels, you're at a greater risk for heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes type 1 and 2, cancer, dementia, and autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, and then lastly, you're going to have a reduced life expectancy. Now, it is advised to supplement with vitamin D, especially if you live in the northern latitudes, but you also need to be careful. And I suggest that when you get your annual blood work done, have them check your vitamin D levels, because this will give you a point to start from. I thought it was interesting that my levels were perfect, is what they told me, and I'm, I'm not bragging because I was just as shocked as you are, but I have been working on it, and I will tell you in a minute how I did that, and then I'll also tell you how to supplement, but first, what to watch for so you don't overdo it. According to Dr. Berg in the same article, some things to watch out for if you might be overdoing it are fatigue, insomnia, constipation, diarrhea, skin rash, nausea, and headaches. To prevent these side effects, make sure you're getting the right dosage for the vitamin D3. Then make sure you're also taking magnesium. 
Dr. Coles recommends 250 to 400 milligrams daily, and then there are experts that say you should add vitamin K2 as well. Also, drinking lots of water is essential. Up to three liters a day is not too much. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but really it's not that much. One of the benefits of drinking so much water is that it flushes your kidneys out so they work better, prevents kidney stones, and even helps you have more youthful-looking skin. I actually have less wrinkles, so that's a plus. And then remember, if you can't get in three liters of water a day, then at least strive for half your body weight in ounces. For a 140-pound person, that would be 70 ounces. And then one last thing to watch for when you're supplementing with vitamin D is any added ingredients like corn syrup. I know I am surprised that they put stuff in there like that. Just be sure to read the labels and then read reviews and buy from a reputable company, not Walmart, sorry. (laughs) Okay, now why is it the most important vitamin to take? It's the number one vitamin that supercharges your immune system, helps fight inflammation, helps you get a better quality of sleep, and then it also helps with digestion. In an article by Dr. Ryan Coles, and it was titled Vitamin D and Your Immune Function, he says, and I agree with him on this, he says, the average American diet is deficient in many vitamins and minerals, especially since we live in a culture that has highly processed foods. Okay, now, how did I get my vitamin D levels perfect? I am outside every day for about five to eight hours from April through October because of my job. And so I'm lucky that way, and I know that some of you can't do that. But hear me out for just a minute, because I also supplement with 2,000 international units of vitamin D3. So starting in September, when the days get shorter and darker, I add an extra 2,000 international units for a total of 4,000 daily. Actually, according to Dr. Coles, it is safe to consume up to 10,000 international units. Unfortunately, I do live in the northwest of the United States, so abundant sunshine isn't readily available from about September through March. So I mentioned earlier to listen to the previous episode about low immunity, and in that episode I mentioned a website, it was flccc.net, and on that website it gives you a chart to help you determine what your level should be. And they also have protocols that you can use to prevent COVID or to use if you've already had COVID to help you get over it quicker. And they're both great. But you know, it's not just about getting the flu or COVID. There's plenty of other viruses or bacterial infections you can get, like pneumonia or bronchitis. So it's important to support your immune system on all fronts. That's why in addition to supplementing with vitamin D3, I take a product from 3 International and it's called Immune. I take two small capsules a day and I'm covered. And not surprisingly, it has some extra vitamin D3 in it, plus other important immune-boosting ingredients like quercetin, nanosilver, zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin E, and a lot more. So be sure to check out all of this on my website, genieolson.iii.earth, and see if it'll work for you, because I think it's time to boost your immune system. So in a nutshell... It is vitally important to start boosting your immune system. Supplementing with vitamin D3 and even vitamin D2, if you have access to it, is important. Taking the immune product, like I mentioned. But getting it from the sun is the very best. And I've said it before, don't be afraid of the sun. It's also about getting enough rest daily. But what else can you do to start this process? Okay, go outside, go for a walk, supplement correctly, give your body the extra help it needs, drink plenty of water, and then just as important, eliminate or minimize stressful situations in your life. Now speaking of a stressful situation, 
that I never want to experience again. Let's transition now into my second segment I call Mountain Adventures. It's hard to find high-quality, beautiful photos of mountains, sunsets, and even sunrises on Amazon or at Walmart. But you can find them at mountainadventures.smugmug.com. I take pride in my photography, and I want to have photos available for everyone's taste. I have a new pricing list and a coupon for 10% off of all merchandise for the entire month of February. Just use the code HEART24, that's H-E-A-R-T, the number 24, and I'll have that in the show notes because I would be honored if you had an authentic Mountain Adventures photo or keepsake in your home or office. And again, this website is mountainadventures.smugmug.com. And again, the coupon code is HEART24. Now, on to my story. I've heard it asked if you had to stay in a cabin in the mountains for one month without your phone, would you do it? Most people say absolutely yes. Well, that's what we already do on our ranch, minus giving up the cell phones. We have no close neighbors, so we at least need a phone in case we have an emergency. And our house is a little more modern than a cabin, even though we are completely off-grid. That part I'm used to. Doing laundry, for example, at 11 o'clock at night, when the backup generator is running, or vacuuming when the solar panels are converting light into electricity. And, of course, living in the Rocky Mountains has so much abundant beauty, it takes my breath away. But what I can't get used to is the fact that not one place here is entirely flat, not one field, not one pasture, not even my backyard. It does make farming and ranching challenging, but what is the worst is our two-mile road that leads into our ranch from the main highway. Now, I've mentioned our road a few times in previous stories. Just recently, I referred to a section of a steep dugway that leads to our property as the train station. Why is it called the train station? because bad things happen there, especially in the winter. It's not even passable without a four-wheel drive vehicle, and sometimes that's not even enough to pass by safely. I have many stories to tell about it, but today, this is by far the hardest one to tell. And I've waited until the right time to talk about it, because in telling it, I have to relive it. And I also want to be respectful of the people involved in it. This is a true story, and it happened five days before Christmas. I left home about 11 o'clock that morning to do some last-minute Christmas shopping in a nearby town about 30 miles away. My husband Nick left later, about 12.30, to also do some shopping. Okay, he was actually starting to Christmas shop, but not bad for him. Sometimes it's Christmas Eve when he starts, but hey, I've received some pretty nice, well, some gifts from Walgreens, but anyway. Later in the day, I turned back onto our road to head home. It was just a little bit after four o'clock. As soon as I turned onto our road, I could see a vehicle stuck at the train station. I knew it was, because once you stop there, you can't start going again. You have to back down the dugway and get another run at it. So I was watching this vehicle as I got closer, and it wasn't moving. I drove to the bottom of the dugway, and I could tell then that it was a white car with only front-wheel drive. I couldn't see anyone standing outside of the car, so... I figured they were sitting inside the car and had walked to our house to get help, or maybe someone had came and picked them up. However, the afternoon was unusually warm and the snow on the road was melting, so it was pretty slushy. I couldn't tell if any other vehicles had been up our road. So I backed up my Jeep to a place where I had cell phone service 
and I called Nick. I told him someone was stuck on the dugway and I was going to drive up through the nearby fields to get to our house. I could still do that because we didn't have tons of snow yet. The fields only had maybe a foot of snow and I could make it through with my jeep. I also told Nick that when I got to the house, I would grab the four-wheeler and then go back down to the car and see if they needed help. I wasn't concerned for my safety at all. Well, I guess I should have been, but for some reason, Nick told me not to go down there. He said, you don't know who it is and it would be better if he checked on them when he got home. I thought that was odd at the time, but I agreed to stay at the house. As I pulled up to the house, I was watching my surroundings closely, looking for footprints in the snow. That would tell me if we had visitors or not, but I saw nothing, not one track anywhere. Okay, I thought, well, they didn't come up the road to the house. You know, but there was just an eerie calm that told me something wasn't right. The dog seemed fine. Now, I know that if someone was nearby in one of our sheds or something, they would have been nervous or barking. But all the dogs wanted was to be loved, pet, and fed. Of course, that's what they live for. Nonetheless, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was just off. So I grabbed my thirty-eight pistol and holster, strapped it on, and started unloading all of the packages out of the jeep. I had no clue where the people in the car were. I was just taking my last load of packages into the house when I see Nick pull onto our road. Because we live up on the hill in the mountains, we can see clear across the valley, and that includes the entire road, except for the dugway and the train station. I felt a sense of relief. Well, it was around 5 o'clock p.m. He called me as he started up the road and asked if I had seen anything, and I told him I hadn't. He said he would drive up through the field like I did, but he would drive closer to the dugway and then pull up alongside the stuck car. I watched as he almost made it to where he wanted to park. Because the field was too steep, he spun out. So he turned his pickup off and set out on foot. I figured he would be back to the pickup in about five minutes, and I expected to see his headlights turn on when he got back to it. It was just starting to get dark, but I could still see the outline of his pickup. He walked over to the edge of the steep bank and could see the car, but he couldn't see anyone. He walked further up the field and found a place where he would, could get down onto the road. As he approached the car, he hollered and asked if anyone was there. Hello, are you there? He heard nothing. As he got closer to the car, he noticed the driver's side window had been smashed in from the outside. He also noticed several set of footprints that went around the car. He started to feel uneasy. He knew then that something wasn't right. He was watching closely in case someone came from behind him from the trees that lined the road on the cliff side of the dugway. He slowly, carefully approached the car. It wasn't until he got closer that he could see a man inside laying down. So Nick asked him, Hey, you need some help? No response. So Nick inched towards the car a little more, keenly aware that the man might be armed. He asked the man again, Hey, you okay? In the meantime, I'm in the house, watching out the living room window, waiting for Nick's headlights to turn on. But they didn't. About twenty minutes had went by. Finally, my phone rang. I about jumped out of my skin. Oh, it was Nick. I figured he would tell me that he was coming to get the tractor to pull the people up the dugway to safety. I was curious, though, why he hadn't turned on his headlights, and, and then I noticed he wasn't even in the pickup. I gingerly said, hello, and he immediately told me, we need to call the sheriff and get an ambulance up here right now. I said, what? 
Why? I could hear his voice shaking as he told me. There's a man in the car, and he's dead. What? You're kidding me. Nick told me you need to call for help, put some warm clothes on, and bring a blanket in the four-wheeler. So I quickly hung up the phone and dialed 911. This was my first time calling for help, but I was surprisingly calm. After I told them the situation and the address, and that they would need four-wheel drive, I hung up from them and called my daughter to tell her what was going on. Why call her? I I don't know. I I think I was just upset. I was running around the house trying to find my coat and talking on the phone all at the same time. She was no help. She just kept saying a bad word over and over. Finally, I managed to make it down to where Nick was, and I could see the flashing lights of the cop cars and the ambulance making their way to us. It didn't take them long to get to the train station. I had never seen a deceased person before, except one at a funeral. It was gut-wrenching for both of us. We had no clue what had happened. The emergency personnel were so great when they got there, and they were quick in helping. I was really glad to see the deputy sheriff and tell... After looking in the car, he told us that we needed to leave because after investigating, this was now a murder scene. He told us to go back to the house and wait there. He would be up in a little bit to chat with us. What? You're kidding me. Chat with us? So we're murder suspects. Great. We were the only two people at the scene of the crime. Now I want you to know that we didn't downplay this situation at all. It was serious. The only thing humorous about any of this was our reaction to it. Now, we knew we were just innocent people, but we also knew that the cops had to suspect everyone until they found answers. So we headed back to the house. And the very first thing that happened when we got inside was we lost the power and the house went dark. The batteries hooked to the inverters and solar panels were too low to keep the lights on. I immediately said to Nick, Oh, this is great. Here we are, murder suspects, and now the cops thinks we're trying to skip out into the night and make a run for it. Oh, it's funny how you handle things. Nick ran out and started the generator and the lights came back on. What did I do while we were waiting for the cops to come? I ran around the house getting my alibis ready. That's what I did. I was going through my receipts, calling our son. I had seen our daughter-in-law earlier. She could vouch for me. I was at this store and I was at this store. Now, we figured the man had been dead about two hours, so I needed to know where I was at during those times. As I'm scurrying around, I stopped and noticed Nick just sitting in his chair. I'm like, are you okay? After all, we had just witnessed a dead man. He said he was fine. He was sitting there trying to solve the murder. What? At a time like this? He said he thought there were two men. He'd guessed by the footprints that he saw. Two men? Well, I know where one is. Where's the other? Was he hiding in one of our sheds? And would he sneak into our house later in the night with a hatchet? As we look back on our reactions, we were pretty funny. But the situation was anything but funny. Our son Jason called us about every hour or so, just to make sure we were okay. He wanted to know what was going on. He gave us advice about getting a lawyer. What? Oh, this is getting serious. We needed to let the rest of our kids know what was happening. All joking aside, we could use our one phone call from jail to call our other son, Ryan, and let him know what was going on. Well, after telling Jason everything that had happened, we soon decided that there was probably only one set of footprints going around the car. Well, that made me feel better knowing the hatchet guy didn't exist, but still, what did happen? 
and I still thought Nick needed to be working on his alibis. Three long, agonizing hours went by, and the deputy finally called us. He told us that he couldn't make it up to our house because they were waiting for a record to come and get the car, and he couldn't get by it. So he took our information over the phone and told us that if we seen anyone, asked them if they had seen anything out of the ordinary. Oh, great. This isn't good. We barely slept that night. I did have my alibis ready, though. I expected to see the deputy sheriff sitting in front of our house the next morning. I kept watching the road to see if any investigators were on our road or near the train station looking for evidence, but no one came. It was quiet. I told myself, well, that was good news, actually. In fact, we heard nothing for an entire week. So that was even better news. Finally, after nine days of wondering, we finally heard what had happened to the gentleman in the car. He had taken his own life. He had lost his keys outside in the snow, and that was why the window was broken in from the outside. Maybe it wasn't our road he actually wanted to be on, but when he got stuck at the train station, that was all he could handle. We were sick inside, knowing that he had taken his life. If only we had been home or would have been coming up the road before anything bad had happened, maybe we could have helped. We will never know this man's story, but our hearts go out to his family. It's not something that happens every day, you know, but we are forever grateful to all of the emergency personnel that night. They acted quickly with dignity and respect. And as for Nick and I, well, Nick kept his cool, but I sure didn't. As we look back on that night, our reaction to being a murder suspect for two hours was pretty comical. The situation with the gentleman wasn't. Now each time we drive by the train station, we remember that night, we also wonder, what's going to happen next here at the train station? Oh, trust me, something already has. Like I always say, there's never a dull moment at the Enbaro Ranch. Remember this, when you've done everything you can do, that's when God will step in and do what you can't. He loves you. In the words of U.S. President Ronald Reagan, Live simply, love generously, care deeply, speak kindly, and leave the rest to God. See you next time.